The last one's at the bar. Exclusively talks about the sport of boxing. Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, a show where we exclusively talk about the sweet science, and that is the sport of boxing. I'm accompanied today by Daniel Lee and LaBelle Jackson. My name is Will Henry. Welcome to the show. Fellas, what's good today? Yeah, everything's everything. Just ready to talk this, this boxing, man. It was a, a, a good card last night. Very entertaining. Yeah, man. I had a busy week. Work-wise, I have a brief and some other stuff and some work travel uh, coming up next week, coupled with a trip down to Atlanta, um, back to back pretty much. So it was a grind kind of getting ready for the next week, but uh, it's been good, you know, got my training in of course. And uh, it was a pretty balanced week overall, all things considered. How you feeling, Will? Yeah, everything's good, man. I just want to say, man, I appreciate you fellas, you know, developing this brotherhood that we've uh, been able to establish over these last two to three years doing this podcast, you know, it feels like, you know, extended family. Do you agree with that, Bill? Yes, sir, man. It's something, something I look forward to. Uh, we definitely have have grown. I mean, I mean we went through a, a lot in the last three years uh, and we're just looking to do more. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because next Saturday, I think I got to move, man. Hopefully you can uh, help me. You know, <laughs> um, love some of the stuff, man. but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, Daddy, man. Yeah, Daddy, I've been busy too, man. You know, I got this move coming up, so I moved to a, a new spot probably next weekend, and then also I got to get go back to my hometown as well. And so I'm just trying to do one thing at a time. And so once I establish that um, new residency, then I'm gonna head back up to my hometown in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But uh, like you said, Bill, man, good weekend of boxing, especially the fight card that took place Saturday night. And then you also had the GOAT, you know what I'm saying, the UFC. You guys, you know, watch UFC. I know we exclusively talk the sport of boxing. Do you check out UFC? And did you have an, have an opportunity to see John Jones and Axel last night? Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to check out that fight. And I, I used to follow uh, UFC a lot, i say about uh, 10 about seven to, to, to 12 years ago, uh, I had friends that were very, very heavy in that. And we should definitely go every, just about every month to Buffalo Highways and catch UFC fights. So I've seen John Jones grow over the, over the years. I've seen him when he was starting out, when it was, I think it was that trio. We call it the trio. It was, uh, John Jones, Anderson Silva, and then it was George St. Pierre. And they were like one way class, you know, from each other. So uh, Jones to see how far he's coming, even with all the trouble that he's had in his, his, his life, to for him to really still be able to turn it on when he needs to and do what he has, especially moving up to uh, from cruiserweight to heavyweight and becoming the heavyweight champion of the, of the world, UFC champion of the world. That's it's very, very big. And shots out to him, man. Hopefully he keeps his head up and stay positive. I did not catch it. I was getting some involuntary shut eye, but I heard I heard good things. You know what I mean. And to, I guess to answer your your general question, I do catch it when when I can. You know, so that would have been a fight I would have watched. But yeah, the week it had beat me up. I was uh, I was in standing eight count, and by standing I mean lying on the couch. Yeah, man, that's that's how it typically is for me on the weekends, man. Like going from that Friday to Saturday. That's when I get the bulk of my rest. Like throughout the week, I'm trying to do everything that I can. I'm trying to check off every box. I'm trying to 
get as much many things done as possible, you know, going above and beyond whatever it is that I'm attempting to do, just to say that I had, you know, a solid week, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't say that I, I neglected anything. And then I can also say that I did more than I expected for that particular week. But once it, once Friday hit, I go to my little spot, I come home, I lay it down, I'm gonna get me a nice 12, you know what I'm saying? I ain't talking about 12 rounds either, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna get me 12 hours of sleep, solid, and then I, you know, get rejuvenated. But as far as the UFC is concerned, yeah, I checked it out, man. I saw the GOAT last night, look a little, a little hefty, but, you know, once he gets his hands on most of those guys, it's a wrap, you know what I'm saying? Once he touched dude and, and was able to, like, get his arms and, and, and control his body, and then he just put him down and he couldn't, he kind of locked on him. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I know one of the previous champions, that's who he's supposed to fight next, who's a long-standing champion. Um, they got that coming up. And that's what I like about UFC. It's like they had that match and then they already – it's an anticipatory setup for the next match. And then it has people like clamoring and can't wait for what's up and coming. And hopefully that's something that they will start to do in boxing a little bit more. They used to do it, but it just hasn't been that way as much, you know, recently. And it was another good fight on the undercard. It was a long, long standing champion, a lady who ended up, she was winning the whole fight. She was winning the whole fight. The other lady, Garcia, she was doing okay in moments. But then at the end, the champion tried to do like a back kick and then she kind of grabbed her, knocked her down. And then she just put her in one of those holes and she couldn't get up. But that was a really good, good, um, good fight card. And it was also that good fight card that we're going to discuss here today that was headlined by Brandon Figueroa and Mark McSire. Vail, um, I know that you checked that one out. You wasn't out for the count. Um, and so what were your thoughts? Yeah, so this fight, it, it actually did live up to what I thought it was going to be. And I, and I mean by Brandon Figueroa bringing the pressure, you know, coming at Mark Masayo, not necessarily having all the power that he had at 122, but having that volume, enough volume to really make Mark Masayo struggle a little bit. And Mark Masayo, actually, he does have power in, in, in a lot of his single shots, and he throws these sharp shots, which was having him able to score a lot of points. Um and I thought the scores is kind of wide. I'm not sure if I, I agree. I thought it was a close fight. And I was more like, man, what are these scorecards are going to be? And I thought that the, the point deductions were what did Mark Masayo in. But I was wrong, you know. But the, this fight started off, I think Brandon Figueroa tried to box Mark Masayo. Uh, I thought that that was an interesting strategy. And I thought we've seen a different, you know, a, a, a different look of Brandon Figueroa. But I really didn't. didn't care for it too much because it wasn't like he was successful and mark masayo uh the sp speed was on display once that you know once figueroa was trying to box him and I, I think he was he's not necessarily a better boxer than mark masayo it's just that mark masayo just makes you know mistakes uh where brandon figueroa's natural style could capitalize on so i think around the, the third or fourth round i think uh figueroa started to settle back into his natural style and Mark Masayo, he kind of impressed me in spots because he has a he has this decent jab, which I'm like, man, it's pretty good. And plus, his footwork is very awkward. And I didn't realize how awkward his footwork is when he uses it. It's just that Mark Masayo spent too much time throughout this fight just standing in a pocket, you know, holding, which was costing them, you know, cost the points in this, in this instance. He was holding and, and not having the stamina to use his feet 
uh, and, and stick and move, which is, I think is really his, uh, one of his gifts. And also when Mark Masai decides to throw combinations, quick combinations, they're very, very impressive, more sharper than Brandon Figueroa. It's that Figueroa is just more constant throughout the fight. And I, th- I think that was what lost the fight for Mark Masayo and won it for Brandon Figueroa was Figueroa just pretty much, you know, toughed it out consistently every single round. He was just co- coming at uh, Mark Masayo grinding and, and Masayo started to, you know, gas in, in later in the fight. Uh, and that's when he started getting points deducted for holding. Uh, so he was deducted two points. I think it was once in the eighth and the second one was, I think, in the 11th round where he was deducted a point. Uh, and he was holding far to the ground a lot. And I think that was just him getting tired. Uh, so Brandon Figueroa, he improves to uh, 24 and one and one with 18 knockouts. Mark Masayo falls to 24 and two with 16 knockouts. Uh, I believe the winner will take on uh, Ray Vargas. So Brandon Figueroa Vargas, I think I, I would, that's a more interesting fight, even though Masayo Figure, uh, uh Vargas rematch, I wouldn't be too mad about that, but uh, I haven't seen Figueroa against someone like with the length and height of a uh, Ray Vargas. I think that'd be interesting to match up, but good performance. I still thought the the, the score was a little bit wide because this is one of those fights where I wouldn't mind seeing it again. And, and it's interesting because I I look at Ray Vargas. I'm not Ray Vargas. I look at Mark Masayo and it's like, man, this dude has, when he decides to do some things, he can be something, but he just has to be more consistent and more, and he has to work on his conditioning. But great performance by both guys, and shout out to Brandon Figueroa. What were your thoughts, Will? Well, first and foremost, I think McSyle needs to move up. I think that partly um, it contributed to his stamina issues that he was having yesterday, and draining himself because he was he couldn't make weight at first, and he's he's big and solid for one twenty six, and I think he he should welcome an opportunity to campaign at one hundred and thirty. So he can um, actually, you know, have the, the the stamina, you know what I mean? Like he just had more fluids and, and things like that inside of his body. And I think that he was uh, debilitating himself uh, too much yesterday. And you can't go into a fight against a high caliber opponent like a Brandon Figueroa if you're not at your best because he has the model of all gas, no brakes. And he's not just saying that. Like that, that boy is going to be coming at you from start to finish. What I'm starting to notice about Figueroa, I don't call him Fig, but he's starting to look like Fig a little bit. Um, and some of the things that I don't like that he likes to do is that switch hitting stuff that he does. And he sometimes he does it in like inside, like he right there with the guy, then he'll go, he, he's switching up. It's kind of like he feels like he's getting comfortable and he, he's, he's, uh, he kind of he's kind of revved up and he's feeling good about himself. So he'll do that from time to time because he knows that he kind of has this guy, but he's still he's still a little too vulnerable for me. And eventually it's gonna start catching up to him. Right now, he takes a heck of a shot. But that style that he fights, it's it's a short shelf life on that fighting style. And you know, the bigger the punchers and the more he's just punches that he's gonna be absorbing then it's just going to have, like I say, too much of a wear and tear. But as far as the fight is concerned, I like what Fig is doing or Figueroa is doing as far as the body shots. You know what I mean? He comes in, constant pressure, throwing the body shots. And I didn't think that 
McSyle really liked it on the inside of Figueroa. So that's the reason why he was trying to throw his little flurries and then he would try to hold. There was flurries there trying to hold because something in there got to him where he didn't like some of the body shots and some of the punches that were landed on him. And, and as you stated, he started to go down sometimes like in the fight, like later on in the fight, he went down like three times. If Figueroa knows something, Figueroa did throw a punch, but he was already on the way down, so the referee didn't count it. But I thought that those could have been called knockdowns, you know, just based on the fact of the exhaustion. It wasn't like he slipped or anything like that. And I had no problems with the scorecards, even though when I get to the punch stats in a second, is that um, when you look at the punch stats, they were close. And they might even favor Maxile. I just did this is one of those fights that if you take a look at it, it's like if you judge it from the perspective, who would I have wanted to be in that round? More than likely, you would have wanted to be Figueroa, you know, after the round was over with. Now, Maxile, again, he lands those little flashy punches or whatever. Some of them are heavy, you know, and it's more eye-catching, but at the same time, the more, to me, damaging punches were coming from Brandon Figueroa. So I thought it was like an 8-4 to four type victory, maybe 7-5 to five for Brandon Figueroa. But I was impressed. You know, that's a big, strong guy that he's facing. And he, he's shown me the ability or the mentality that he doesn't mind taking on all comers, you know. And as I'm looking at the highlights now, it's not looking too good for Figueroa. But that's not how it was throughout the course of this fight. Now, one thing that McSai was able to do is he was able to kind of handcuff Figueroa a little bit more than he typically is handcuffed because normally Figueroa averaged around 92 punches per fight or per round. And against Maxile, he was limited to 54 punches strong per round. And then Figueroa threw 60 more punches than McSile, but he landed three fewer punches. And so, um, like I said, the punch stats would favor McSile. But at the end of the day, like I said, if you look at each round in its own entity, I think that you would you would look at about eight of those rounds saying that I would rather have been Figueroa um, after that round than I would have been wanting to be McSile. So all in all, the total punches, you had 176 punches out of 653 for Figueroa. The percentage was 27%. And then Maxile, he landed 179 out of 593 at 30.2%. Figueroa landed uh, eight more body punches. And the power punches, Figueroa landed 161 to Maxile's 160. All in all, a good scrap. I think it's highly unlikely that we'll see it again because, like I said, I think it's in the best interest of Maxile. And I'm looking here getting hit with that, those body shots, man. That was kind of like taking his toll on him. But he needs to move up, and that is McSyle. And as far as Figueroa is concerned, you know, sky's the limit for the next maybe two years at 126 pounds because he's going to get even more stronger, you know, at the weight. He's going to have an opportunity to fight some of those guys that he wants to fight, mainly schoolboy, you know. And – um. We'll, we'll see. You'll see where the chips fall. I just, like I said, the last thing I say about him is that he has to work on that defense, though. Yesterday, he wasn't getting hit as much as often as he does in, in some of his fights. 
but he was getting hit flush enough. You know what I'm saying? And McSide, like I said, he can crack a little bit. And you just don't want to be on the tail end of those shots, you know, especially as you move up in weight. He might fight some other guys who have who pack, pack a pretty good wallop. And so just little details when it comes to the the um the punches that he's he's taking in the future, you know, do it, do what it is that you can to work on not getting hit as flush because you're gonna get hit. It's just like being able to roll with the punches as you get hit and study guys like Roberto Duran because he was a master at that. You know, it'll look like he's getting hit more than what he was getting hit. But at the same time, you roll with it and come back with something real nasty. And so just little stuff like that, Figueroa, work on that. Don't try to switch it like your brother, you know what I mean, as much. And I think that the next two, three years, you know, it should work out really well for you. But what about you, Danny? What, what did you see yesterday in that fight? Yeah, I personally gave Figueroa about seven rounds plus the two points that were deducted, you know. Um, but it wasn't a technique-heavy fight, but it was really enjoyable to watch from start to finish. I thought that, you know, on top of the things you guys said, Figueroa had the better gas tank, you know. Like, to me, around the seventh, McSayo's work rate gradually decreased. And although he showed a lot of heart getting through the fight the way he did, especially in that 12th round, um, it was clear to me that he just wasn't the same fighter as he was in the earlier rounds. And I wonder if what he was doing with that with that arm, you know, that got a points deducted was based on his, on, on his fatigue level. I don't know. But I thought it was a really good fight. You guys really did a good job breaking it down, so I don't want to belabor. But in terms of where they go from here, I, I do agree that Masayo should move up. It'll be interesting to see what he what he would do at 130. Um, but he's just better off there. You know, he struggled to make weight. I feel like the gas tank thing wouldn't be as much of an issue because he would be bigger and stronger. In terms of who he would fight at 130, I, I'm always wary of fighters when they claim that the other fighter was running. And that's what Masayo said about Vargas, called him a running man. Um, and you have some guys who can do that at 130. And so we'll see where he goes from there. But as for Figueroa, um, he could do some things at 126, man, and it should set him up for a shot at, at Ray Vargas for that WBC title. As we know, Ray Vargas lost the fight at 130, so he'll be moving back down to 126. And so I think that'll be a very interesting one because I think that's Vargas's current best weight class, and he'll have sort of like a, a, a hide-and-reach advantage there. So I think it'll be a good fight, and I think uh, Figueroa will will be a big challenge for him. That's a very close fight that I think uh, will kind of set the stage for what the rest of what happens at 126. Um, but that's all I got. So we had one of PG County's own comeback after a long layoff. Jared Hurd was back. Swift, uh, who wasn't super swift last night, but uh, he came back to fight Jose Resendez. Vel, I know you saw that one. What did you What did you think of that one? Yeah, this was an interesting fight. And also, one of the things I, I enjoy about boxing is, is there's matches tell stories. And even they can tell stories for other fights. Like, this fight is kind, it's kind of an example of what we what we said in the first fight, especially with Brandon Figueroa. If Figueroa doesn't work on his defense and, and try to add some more wrinkles to his game, he may end up similar to it in a situation with Jared Hurd. So, Jared Hurd. Came in this fight 24 and 2 with 16 knockouts against Jose Armando uh, Resendez. So, Jared Hurd was known as a volume puncher at 154, had a lot of power. He was very 
big and tall for that particular weight class had a fight with, with Julian with Julian Williams, which changed the trajectory of his career. And he, he was kind of struggling to find himself ever since. So in this fight, when the fight started, he started off uh, boxing, which is really not his, his, his natural style. It is like, he's not really even that, that great at it, you know? So uh, Resendez kind of was, you know, catching him with, with certain shots. But I was like, man, I mean, uh, I don't know if her can fight like this the entire fight. And it's only a matter of time, just like with Figueroa, it's only a matter of time before he kind of settles into a style that he fights out of. Um, so Resendez, even though Resendez was a, a, a smaller fighter, a shorter fighter, I may say, he fought at a higher weight, a higher weight class, even though he could possibly get down to 154. He fought bigger guys, and that played itself out in the fight, uh, where even though there was times where her landed some good shots on, Resendez, Resendez would just take it and, and just come back doing what he do. And I, and I think that was kind of, from a mental standpoint, he was kind of breaking Jared Hurd mentally because Jared Hurd got by this long by just, you know, steamrolling guys. And eventually, especially when it comes to the second the, the second half of the fight and that midpoint, Hurd just, just comes on and guys can't really stand up to that, that size and strength. Uh, but the, the guy, when other opponents who fought bigger guys, getting that ring with her, they're, they're more willing to, you know, they, they, they have that, you know, gas tank and they have that strength to stand in there and toughness and durability to stand in there with someone like Jared Hurd. So in this fight, it, it was kind of the same thing where Resendez actually did start off strong and really was taking the fight to Jared Hurd, just like uh, Julian Williams did, except that, you know, this was more kind of, I saw it kind of a, uh, the first six rounds was kind of close uh, with Resendez kind of edging those rounds, but Hurt was still kind of in a fight. But the second half of the fight, you could tell just the sharpness of Resendez's punches was just getting to him a, a lot, I think around the sixth round. And then Hurt kind of tried to box again in the eighth, but, you know, Resendez, at that point, I think it was kind of a little too late, and Resendez just, you know, really put it on him at, at certain points. Uh, so around the I think it was the end of the, the the ninth round I know there was a shot I think I might have saw it when it was an overhand right where Resendez hit her with it really uh cut um hers lip I think the mouthpiece probably went through the lip uh and I think between the ninth and tenth rounds that the uh the corner was going to send him back out there for the last round and, and he was he was ready he was going to you know really put it out there because he, he does have a heart of a warrior you know he but the, uh, the the doctor, you know, looked at the cut, decided the, the, the fight was enough, and, and the fight was stopped in the 10th round. So Jose Armando Resendez, he, he won his fight by TKO, 10th round TKO. Jared Hurd, it was uh, it's kind of – I felt bad for the kid. You know, he's a great guy. Anyone who's been around him in the DMV area, they, all, they only had great things to say about him. Very personal young man, has a good head on his shoulders. So it was a pretty hard to see the fight, you know, go that way where he he got stopped. But it wasn't like, you know, a stoppage where he was just hurt and the guy just put it on him, you know, and then stopped him. It was it was a cut stoppage. So where he goes from here is hard because at this time in, in, in your career, it's hard to really change up things too much. And, and you have to have us, you have to be certain pretty much top notch to really change your style totally like someone like a uh Marco Antonio Pereira or Manny Pacquiao did, you know, you would definitely have to change your style. So it's hard to say, uh, hopefully he gets some, if he decides to continue, he gets some, a few soft touches so he can at least get his, 
his confidence back. But it was an entertaining fight. Uh, props to Resendez. He, he came in this fight as a B-side and really put some more opportunities on his plate. What say you, Danny? Yeah, man. I took a few notes from just watching the fight. I thought that there were a few things that went wrong for her. You know, one, obviously the ring rust. Two, you know, like you said about him having that size advantage before and no longer having it in his weight class. Three was Resendez doing a good job of going to the body. Like I thought that, you know, whatever gas tank Heard had was going to be exasperated by Resendez doing work to the body early. I thought that his early aggression and him working the angles, which I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know he had it in his game. You know, I thought those made for a good first round for him. But like I, I thought Heard would have tried to fight more on the outside, you know, when he had sort of that size advantage. But a lot of that round, a lot of like some of those rounds that early on were spent in fighting. And I thought that Resendez got the better of him in those. But Heard was getting his shots off. But it just looked like he was just getting outpointed. Like there were close rounds, but I would have rather have been Resendez in those. Um, I did give Heard a few rounds in the, like the third and the fourth. But um, and I thought that he started to come on a little bit in those, but I thought that overall Resendez had too much firepower. Um, he continued with the body shots, continued with the angles, and it just looked like, like, I don't know what the copy box said, but my eyes were just telling me it almost looked like Hurt was getting bullied some. And I just didn't think that it made for a good comeback fight for him, which is unfortunate because, you know, Resendez was, it was a step up fight for him, you know, especially given her his pedigree. But you know, you already said what happened, Vel. So I'm a little bit conflicted in terms of where her goes from here. So on, on one hand, you know, uh, he, he doesn't have that advantage anymore, that size advantage, but he can't make 154. Um, people are writing him off, but I don't like writing boxers' career obituaries, especially because, you know, he's, he's only in his early 30s. And so, um, you know, I would be interested if he wants to continue to fight, which he said he'll be back. I would be interested in seeing what he looked like maybe a year from now if he were to take two more fights to get that rust off him. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything about like a trainer change, but to to adjust at 160 and to be active at 160. We haven't seen an active herd at 160. So if he if he said he's going to continue, he needs to be active. That's what I just want to see for him at this point. But you know, if he he had a good career, if he decides not to, you know, if he changes his mind or whatever, he had a good career. But part of him being the best version of himself is just being active. And I understand that he had to take time off for himself. He said that um, that was good for him at that time. But if you're going to be a boxer, you know, you can't take too many more of those times off the way he did. But that's all I got. Uh, anybody else have anything else they want to say about the fight itself or where her goes? Yes, sir. He's right as a bitch. Her had a good run. You know what I mean? Shout out to you, sir. You know what I mean? Um, it's just the, the the interesting thing is they put two guys on the car who benefit from beating up smaller guys, and that's Figueroa and her. I just think that Figueroa, he hasn't necessarily taken as much punishment as her has taken. I think he's a little bit more skilled than her. And I think I can see his career lasting longer as a result. Her is just, I remember um, 
Kyler used to be able to do that too at the lower weights. Arturo got it. I remember he fought Joey Gamache. They did the weigh-in, and then the day after when he got on the scale, he was about 20-something pounds heavier than Joey Gamache and almost killed Joey Gamache. But he had the ability to make weight for that just moment, and then he'll balloon up. Same thing with her. Her would come in there, and then the guys he was fighting that he was beating, Tony Harris, beating the mess out of her. Laura beating the mess out of her, but then he just was too big. You can't, it's hard to, if, if I'm a 154 pounder and I'm fighting somebody who's weighing like a super middleweight or almost a light heavyweight, it, as much as I'm putting it on, it's just, it's gonna like eventually I'm gonna wear it out. And then that's when he had the great ability to take advantage of that. He can take all of that punishment and then he can start coming and, and uh, catching a second win while you are like deteriorating. Can't do that at 160. But at 160, you know, those guys are, are able to withstand whatever it is he's bringing to the table. I never saw any special effects from Jared Hurt ever anytime I seen him fight. He always was just able to withstand the punishment and then come back in the end against a much smaller guy that he's facing. Every time I saw him fight somebody, at the elite level, it's like, dang, he's so much bigger than that dude. You know what I'm saying? But they just be right a tat tat, boom, 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 can't miss. But it's just like you hitting Jason, you know what I'm saying? And after a while, you know, you get to you. And so her, and he's taken too, way too much punishment in his career and his last few fights. Face is getting all bruised up and, and, and cut up. Lip is getting torn up and stuff like that. So now, I would, if he's, if it's still in him to want to continue his career, I would say do so. You know what I mean? Because I think the obvious thing is that it's not going to last long, but you always have a puncher's chance. And so you, you, you get up in there, you find the right opponents, find some people that you have some film on too, like be able to like break somebody down and then have a game plan for them. And make sure that it's a soft enough touch that you can handle it for a fight or two. And then, you know, get you, you know, the biggest fight that you can, the most lucrative fight that you can and see how you match up, you know, with that opponent. I just, it, it, it looks pretty bleak to me as far as his future, but that's all I have, man. You know, shout out to, to, to Swip, you know, or like thereof, you know, um, because he's he does he he's had a career where he's done some pretty remarkable things as far as being a unified champion in a division that had a lot of killers in there. So he can he, you know he 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 has done that. Like I said, it just doesn't look too bright for him moving forward. Yeah, what I will say he needs to put to bed is those uh I want Charlo, I want to knock out Charlo, you know stuff like that, like. I think if anything, if he could, if he chooses to continue, this might have been a good fight for him to see where he's at. So that way you can stop looking towards something that's not going to happen and see where you are. Maybe there was, I don't know if there was any delusion there or what, or if he was just answering a question the way it was asked. But, you know, I, I think I, I do agree with you. Um, I'm interested to see where that humility, whereas hopefully humility uh, lands on. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with fighting at like a lower level if you still enjoy fighting, if that's what he wants. But it's going to take a lot of uh, he, he got to build himself back up, you know, from the ground up for sure.
You got anything, Bill? No, sir, man. Just shout out to Jared Hur. Hopefully, you know, if he, if he even decides that he doesn't want to continue with his career, uh, you know, he's he's done good things with the talent he has. He's made good money, and hopefully I wish him the best, wherever he decides. I just want to tell the listeners, huh? we're going to take a little break for a moment to allow Bill the opportunity to go get him some tissues. Something he's sad. Yeah. Sorry. No, but uh, we're going to get off of these previews, though. Uh, we have Tim Zoo. He's coming back next week to fight Tony Harrison. Uh, one of your guys, Phil, one of your Michigan guys, at least. Um, this ha- this fight has big implications as it is expected that the winner will fight Jamel Charlo after he returns from his hand injury. How you see that playing out, Will? I like the matchup. I like uh, Zoo. You know, it's hard, you know, for taking on such a challenge and he doesn't necessarily have to, you know, uh, the fact that he already pretty much has the trouble to fight secure and he could take a soft touch just to stay busy, but he's not doing that. He's fighting probably the next best fighter in the 154 weight class. And you have to, you know, tip your hat to that. Uh, this fight here, you've got Tony Harrison, 6'1", 76 and a half inch reach. One of the taller guys at 154 with one of the longest reaches in the weight class. He has a record of 29-3-1 and one with 21 KOs. Tony does have some pop in that right hand, a very good um, boxer puncher, you know, and he can rattle off some good combinations when he's at his best. Very good, very good fighter. Um, Tim Zhu is 5 eight and a half. He uh, has a record of 20-0 with 15 KOs. He has a 72-inch reach, and he's 28 years of age. Um, Tim Zhu, to me, he's kind of a hybrid. Um, he has a hybrid style. He's kind of like a, a of a boxer puncher, you know, if you will. He's very much um, very similar. Like the guys who have had like sons and fathers in the sport of boxing, he's the one who most resembles his his father. He he damn near fights more like his father than his father fought like his father. You know what I mean? He brings that constant pressure and. You know, if you ever seen his father fight Kostiusu, you know, that's the style that he fights that kind of upright, but he's digging those punches, you know, in you know, the body shots, the head shots. Um, not necessarily that much of a mover. He looks like his head is like right there, you know, in range or or online to be hit, you know, with some significant punches. But he his vision is pretty good where he doesn't get hit that much, but he's constantly pressuring you. And um, that's, that should play a role in this fight if the fight lasts, you know, into the later rounds. Now, the last fight for Tim Zhu was against Tim um, or Terrell Boucher. He won a 12-round United's decision back last March, March of 2022. He won pretty much all of those rounds with the exception of the first round where he got dropped. Um, like he got hit right on the kisser and he got put down. You know, hopefully for his sake that he works on, you know, staying out of that, out of range. But he was able to make the adjustment afterwards. And that, to me, that was a good fight for him because it was first fight in the United States. He came over here. Um, he fought somebody who's a pretty decent boxer. And he could learn from the experience that he had. And he kind of learned on the job in the fight to make the adjustment at that particular moment. And then also... Um, 
just the experience of coming over here to the United States. I thought it was an all-in-all good win. And to me, this is the best case scenario for him if he wants to be one of the top guys at 154 pounds because you do want to mix your skills in with somebody who's as talented as Tony Harrison. And if you're able to be victorious, then that's going to build confidence. That's going to enable you or allow you to know that, yeah, I am, you know, one of the big dogs in this weight class because I proved it. It's not like somebody just looking at me based on limited opposition that I face and then also just piggybacking off my father's name. No, I'm the real deal. I'm legitimate. And this is going to, to prove it um, next week. Now, Tony Harrison, he also fought pretty much a year ago, April of last year. He faced Sergio Garcia and... Before I even talk about the Sergio fight, the fight before that, I was thinking, I said, Tony might be a little bit past it. He might be showing signs of slippage when he faced Brian Perello. Harrison, he was getting in a few good shots in that 10, 12 rounds that they fought, but Perello was beating him up, you know, pretty much the whole fight. And I think he staggered Tony a few times, you know, at least on two occasions. And, but... In retrospect, thinking about it, I remember them saying that Tony had lost his father at that time, and I don't think that he took Perella as serious as he should have in that fight. But in that moment, I'm thinking, like, man, you know, that Tony Harrison, I think Tim Zhu would definitely beat him if that's the one that shows up in Australia. But, again, he fought Sergio Garcia in his next fight last April, and he looked more frisky, and he showed a very, very authoritative jab. And that, to me, is going to be the issue in this fight. Will Zoo be able to get past that jab if Harrison is, is pumping it out, you know, the way that he should be against somebody who's smaller, who doesn't have the reach? And then on the flip side of that, will Harrison gas out due to the, you know, extensive pressure that he's going to be under against Tim Zoo? And so my prediction is this. I think that Harrison is going to have a lot of success early, especially rounds one through five. I think that Zoo is going to begin to like break him down, probably starting the sixth round, fifth round, seventh round, and I think that that's going to lead to a late-round stoppage. I think, you know, I, I, I love Tony Harrison. I like what he brings to the table. Just to me, a lot of times in his fights, he ends up, it, it comes to a point where he kind of gasses out, and I think that being over there in Australia, you know, with that raucous crowd, there's going to be a lot of home cooking going on over there, too. And I think that eventually, Zoo is going to be able to, you know, get the victory. And I do think that Tony is slightly shot more. And I don't think that he's, like, falling off, you know, the wayside. But I think that he is showing just a little bit, you know, little signs of slowing down. And I think that's going to be just enough for Zoo to be victorious in this one. What do you guys think? I need a round, sir. What you? I know you got. I know you said late stoppage, but what, what round are you thinking, sir? Oh, eleven. I, I got eleven. You know, yeah. book it. Roger that. So yeah, man. For reasons that you said, I think it's gonna be a very interesting fight because there's a few narratives going on. I mean, Harrison has that five-inch height advantage, the four-inch reach advantage you talked about. Um, so he has the the build to give Zoo problems. And then, you know, like a little bit of what worries me about Zoo on top of the fact that he can stay flat-footed on top of his, his head movement isn't great and, 
and things of that nature. Um, you know, when Goucher caught him right now in the middle of that first round, it's like, okay, is he is he chinny? You know, what's, what's going on with that? And, and to his credit, he did fight back, and he did end up winning mm-hmm. that fight. But it just makes you wonder, because in those earlier rounds, you know, uh, Harrison, I think that he does a good job of, he, he has that pawing jab. And so he's going to use that to keep distance. He changes levels well, you know, going up from going from up top to the body and back. And so he's going to to do well with that. Uh, but like you said, is that gas tank, man, that gas tank is very if this was the Harrison going into the first shallow fight, this would be an easier one to predict. But it's hard for me to see him keeping Zoo at bay. And it's hard for me to, to not see Zoo eventually getting in there in those middle rounds. And when he sits down on his punches, he has a really good uppercut. Um, and he also could be a good counter puncher, especially once he's in range, of course. Um, but Zoo's challenge on his end will be to keep his head off center and to figure out a way to get inside, you know, which he typically doesn't work a lot of angles from what I've seen. Um, and like I said, he he doesn't have great head movement, but um, he just comes forward, comes forward, comes forward. And sometimes his high guard can be ineffective. And so he's going to have to be effective with his aggression because Harrison, he did show me in that Garcia fight that he can't fight out the back foot. Now, as a boxing fan, what I hope happens is that Harrison wins this because I like him. And somehow Fedora leapfrogs them and gets the Chalo shot when, when, when Chalo gets back. And then Harrison fights the interim bout to keep him active and then fights the winner of Chalo Fedora. But as for this fight, what I think will happen is like if, if Harrison can keep his gas tank up, then he'll win a decision. If not, which I don't think he can. Um, and, and the reason why I'm going to say this is because I think that they both have had almost a year layoff. And I think that will favor Zoo more than Harrison. Harrison, he's only fought twice since 2020. And so I think that the most likely scenario by a hair will be Zoo getting a 10th round stoppage. So we'll see, but I think it'll be a really good fight. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Some things I'm like, eh, maybe. Yeah, but Tim Zoo, yeah, he does. Like, you squint your eyes, man. Like, you watch him, you squint your eyes. <laughs> Sometimes it look like you, you're looking right at Casa Zoo. He does have some timing similar to his father, but I don't think his father was more, Casa was more, uh, had, you could see that amateur pedigree, which separates them. Plus, he could put guys out there in one shot if he wanted to. And, and plus, I think Zoo is going to be at a size disadvantage here because Tony Harrison is a big 154-pounder, you know, also. Plus, uh, Harrison, you know, very skilled, very talented. He has this great jab. He can fight different ways. He can fight on the inside. He can, he, he can you know, fight on the outside and move. It's just that so he, he has these lows like he's just, I don't know. Uh, of course, he has a questionable gas tank where he gets tired. But also, he has, like, lows in his concentration especially late in fight, it's almost like he gets mentally tired and, 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 and that becomes his downfall. So in this fight, uh, I do think that Tony Harrison will be successful early. He will catch Tim Zhu. Just like with Terrell Goucher, I think Tony Harrison could do those same, you know, 
counter shots and catch Tim Zoo, you know, coming in. Uh, the thing that's going to kill Tony Harrison is that, you know, that stamina issue and that, that lack of concentration late in the fight. But I do think that Tony Harrison will do enough to earn, to, to be able to, I'll say, be able to earn a victory over Tim Zoo. The only thing is he's not going to get it. So he's going to get robbed. I think it's going to be a close fight where he gets robbed. And Tim, I have Tim Zoo winning by decision. Anything else you want to add to that? Well, thank you for asking, sir. What I would say is this, is that this is what – now, if I look at both guys, if you're just looking at their film, Tony Harrison is a better fighter than Tim Zhu. You're just looking at their – you're studying their film. You're looking at them punch. And if there was no other intangibles or if there were not any other variables involved, then I would pick Tony Harrison. But I think that Zoo has already been training for Charlo. And so when they decided to go with Harrison, Harrison says that he was training, but to what degree was he training? Because he was training other people, he was doing other stuff. So how committed was he to get himself in that dog shape? And the amount of time that he had to get prepared for this fight, is that enough? to curtail some of the stamina issue that issues that he has. I don't think so, you know, and so that's the reason why I'm leaning toward Zoo to be able to um, get a late victory in this fight and then factoring in that home crowd and all of that type of stuff. That's going to play a major factor. Being in a different environment, you know, I'm not sure how um, often has Tony Harrison, you know, been out of the country. You know, some of those things, you know, they, they play a factor. He's been out there for a little bit. Um, but I, I respect him because he's one of the last crunk guys, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, I really always respected what the crunk gym has brought to boxing. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. But like I said, my prediction is Tim Zoo, 11th round stoppage over Tony the Tiger Harris. All right. Uh, I do think this is probably the best thing that could have happened to Tim Zhu <laughs> was the Charlo fight not happening right away and him taking on Tony Harrison. Cause I think that fight will prepare him for the, for, for Charlo for that, le- at least that level of Charlo, you know? So that is the best thing that happened to him. Um, but we'll mm-hmm. move along. I, I know we got some boxing news that been going on this week. Uh, what you got for us, Will? Yeah, man, I think it's, it's it's been a few things that's been going on in the sport, man. You know, if I'm thinking um, about this past week, you know, there's about five different things that kind of stick out. And the first thing that I would mention or would like to talk about is Amanda Serrano. You know, um, she's injured. And so they're going to postpone the rematch that she has against Katie, Katie Taylor. And, you know, there's been information that's been disclosed about uh, or has not been disclosed, but they, they're saying that she has a hand injury that, that dated back to December of 2021. You have any thoughts on that, you know, about Serrano and, and, and prospects of her future? Yeah, whoever it is, hopefully she get that injury taken care of because you don't want to go in there with uh, Katie Taylor. If you're going to go in there with Katie Taylor, you want to be 100%. And we don't know if that that – injured hand had an effect in their you know their last fight and maybe she's looking at looking at that fight like man i could have won this fight if i would have been 100 so uh sometimes you regret certain things um but i know that uh, i guess 
one of the opponents that have been thrown at Katie Taylor is uh, Chantel Cam- Cameron, uh, which is, you know, that's a respectable fight, but it's not Amanda Serrano. So hopefully Serrano, you know, can recover. Because when you look at her resume, she's been fighting a lot, man. She has a lot of fights. And I'm pretty sure, especially with the, in the, uh, the her style that she fights in, that there's some wear and tear that's going on there. She, I think she has like probably either, probably well over 35 fights. So that plays a factor, especially in a sport where most, a lot of the women don't have, you know, 30 fights or 25 fights, you know. And, and, and it might even help her because Katie Taylor, the more fights Katie Taylor takes, the I think Katie Taylor is kind of slowing down too. She's at that point where she's slowing down also. So it'll, it'll make the rematch uh, interesting. So, yeah, what could happen from this could change the future of what happens between Taylor and Serrano, because if Cameron were to win, I don't know if I would see Serrano maybe moving up to 140 to fight her, or maybe that fight still happens at 135 for Katie Taylor's undisputed. I don't know. But as a fight fan, I actually like the entry of Katie Taylor fighting Chantel Cameron more than I like the idea of her rematching Serrano. I don't think Serrano was comfortable at that at that weight. And I think that fight is just kind of happening because the first one was so good, but I, I heavily favor Taylor in that one. But this one is a little bit more even. This one is has a lot more intrigue to it. You know, you're still getting undisputed versus undisputed. Uh, this will only be Katie Taylor's second fight at 140. Her first one was in 2019. Um, but what could end up happening would be, could be Katie Taylor fighting and, and beating two undisputed champs in a year. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but um, obviously I hope Serrano makes a full recovery, but I'm not mad at what's happening in place of that, or could be happening in place of that. Yeah, I mean, as far as Andrew is concerned, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily have to hear about that, you know what I mean, about no nagging injury. You know, people have injuries all the time, B. You know what I'm saying? She's tough. You know, just go ahead and recover and – and try to get back in the ring as soon as possible if that's what you want to do. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't, I ain't even trying to hear about all that type of stuff, sis. You know what I mean? No no, uh, no offense, though. Um, as far as what it, it would do, um, I want to see the ladies back in the ring against each other because I just think that's the biggest um, bout, you know, in boxing as far as the women are concerned. And I just want them to have an opportunity to showcase their talents to as many people as possible. But again, if she's unable, you know, if the injury is too much um, of a hindrance to her, you know what I mean, then hopefully she has enough money in the bank where she can hang them up, you know, and live successfully afterwards. You know, that's all I got on that, man. I don't want to be hearing about no injuries and whatnot. Now, nah, it, it, your boy, you know what I'm saying? Bill, Bill love this guy here. He argue you to death about old Bud Crawford now. But Bud Crawford, you know... Typical WBO, you know, what they do for Terrence Crawford is they order the title defense of Terrence Crawford's WBO title to be against Alexis Roach. You guys have any thoughts on this right here? Like you said, Will, I'm a huge fan of Terrence Crawford. I defend him. I watch him. We, we, we get in crazy debates over it. But shame on WBO for ordering this and thinking this is a good fight. And this is what is kind of ticks me off about the sport of boxing. Shame on them for doing this. And shame if Terrence Crawford takes it, because he hasn't 
taking this fight yet. And it, it hasn't been saying that they're going to take this fight or that they're going to make it happen. But if it, if it happens, and it's just a warning to, Tan, to Terrence Crawford, shame on him. Uh, but for now, I'm just going by the facts that it's just the WBO that's ordering this. We, we did see a picture of Terrence Crawford with Alexis Rocha's uh, promoter, which is Asa De La Hoya. And Asa De La Hoya, if this fight happens, Asa De La Hoya should be ashamed of himself as someone who fought all these top guys, man, fought Pernell Whitaker, you know what I'm saying, fought uh, Felix Trinidad, Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins. He fought even guys that were, were high risk, but probably wasn't going to give him a, a lot of reward, like Bazooka, uh, Ike Corte. You know, that was a very risky fight because Corte was, was better than, than people think he was. To them to even be considering this fight is shameful. And for Terrence Crawford, it's like, dude, do you want to be remembered, you know, along the lines of a Floyd Mayweather, a Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Al-Bernell Wicker? Do you want to be remembered, your Sugar Ray Robinson, Henry Armstrong, Bernard Hopkins, even James Tony? Do you want to be remembered like these guys? Or do you want to be remembered like a uh, Savin Atki? I can't even pronounce his name. He was a middleweight champion super middleweight champion that retired undefeated without fighting anybody. Do you want to be remembered as that? You know, and, and I'm, I'm getting tired of it, you know, and, and and hopefully this fight doesn't come through because this is a warning. Terrence Crawford, if you accept this fight in any other way, I'm going to, hey, look, the gloves is going to be off, man. <laughs> and one other thing I'm going to say, it's a way to even mitigate this. You know what I'm saying? If WEO is really ordering this fight, and if I'm Terrence Crawford, right, or if I'm, you know, people around him and, and see the WEO is ordering this fight. Man, he, if it's this fight or Errol Spence, man, you better pay Alexis Rocha, pay aside money or something, man, to make, the, make those fights happen that we want to see, man. Let WEO pay him some step aside money or something. Stop, stop doing this. This is not Alexis Rocha, David Avenesian. These are not names on your resume that's going to make you go down and, and be great, man. And I've been a boxing fan since what, 19, what, 1985, 1984, the mid 80s. I've never seen anything like this. Never seen anything like this. Not from a top boxer. Now, we've seen boxers duck people and boxers that not fight a lot of people and retire or what have you. But those guys are not, not even remembered. Nobody even highly even ranked these guys. And, and, and a lot of times when that stuff happens, normally it's either they went to jail or they died or something like that happened. Or if, or if they just decide they didn't want to fight anybody, nobody really cares about them. This is my question to Terrence Crawford. Do you want to be a what if, or do you want to be a what is and what has happened? And that's why I'm going to end it. I can answer some of these questions if you want, or I can ask them. I, I my answer to that would be like, he don't care. He showed he don't care. You know, the way he chose the fans, the way he took on that avenue. Wait, wait, that, that dude don't. better care. No, no, that dude better care. I don't care if he, you know, he has his nice blue suede slippers and he go to bed with it, with it, with his, you know, his silk sheets and all that. You know what I'm saying? I don't have all that. You know what I'm saying? I wear my Ch- my uh, Chuck Taylors and Adidas and Shell Toes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I make decent money. You know what I'm saying? I'm not high class, but you know what? When I go to bed every night, I know that I, I gave 100% to what I do every day. You know what I'm saying? I took on the best challenges at what I do every day. Even when it comes to this podcast, we take on challenges. We don't duck them.
And he is going to take on the best challenge that WBO offers him. Their number one contender. Hey, Daddy, man, you're jerking me up, man. <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you what it is. Really does this. Look, ah. Without having any tangible news from Errol Spence, who everybody wants to fight, uh, Boots is busy. He don't want to get stripped of his title. Uh, the number two is uh, Virgil, who is also busy. So unless he hears something back from, or unless he really, really goes out of his way uh, for Spence, which we don't know what's going to happen with that. I would not be surprised if this happened. And honestly, for this to be a fight early in the 2023, I wouldn't be mad at it happening because ah, at no, least at no, least we know that he's staying I, busy. No, and at I'm least mad. we know at the last half of 2023, no. he can't say, oh, I just want to take a state busy fight. No, because he would have fulfilled his mandatory no. and he'll be free for the second half of 2023. No, and I'm not, I don't mean to cut you off, but no. But if you want to be great, right? You know what I'm saying? If I'm Terrence Crawford, and I got greatness on my mind. You better move up to, you know what I'm saying? I want my if if he, if all these fights at welterweight is 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 hard to get, right? Because really he could fight, you know, Jerron Ennis if he won, who been calling him out. If all these fights are difficult, that dude can move up to of course he's probably not gonna fight Charlo because that's I don't know, either he can or he can't. Move up to middleweight, man. Take on an Asian champion in triple G. People might say they get suicide, but that's the but that's what it is, you know what I'm saying? That's a challenge. Take a fight where people don't think you can win, man. That's what that's what breeds greatness. Not a fight where you like 75%, 25%. Take a fight that people think it's only a 35% chance you can win. And if you win, your name's in that history book. But that's what greatness is made of, Terrence Crawford. You my guy, but it's clear that your definition of great for Crawford and Crawford's definition of great for Crawford are two different things. You know, you you know how I feel about what Terrence is doing. And I, I kind of been saying this and it's it's exhausting, you know what I'm saying? To the point where it's like, like I say, he he does things that it just be so blatant to me that for, for instance, he talks about being his own boss, but that wouldn't really be boss-like if you just follow the orders of the WBC. At this particular point in his career, I think that really if he was truly that boss then that belt really wouldn't even mean that much to him anymore. It's like, I'm doing what it is I want to do. You know what I'm saying? And I'm making these moves that I want to do. It's not like, okay, I got to take this fight right here with him because of this. But like you said, Bill, the boss is like, man, okay, Rocha, I get at you, but I'm going to go ahead and make this fight with Spence because that's the biggest fight that I want. Dude can't mess with me. Everybody is saying that he has a chance you know, so on and so forth. But I know this dude ain't, ain't on my level. So let me go ahead and knock him off. And then I go ahead and because that supersedes the WBC, WBO um, mandating that fight. And so he could go ahead and go in that direction if that's truly what he wants to do as being the boss that he says that he is. And some of the things that you mentioned before, that's what makes greatness is that you fight in those fights, the mentality that you have, the fact that you have an appetite for challenging fights. It's not like I'm always having these Harlem Globetrotter against the Washington Generals type events, you know, and, and just claiming that I'm the number one fighter just because I can whoop on a tomato can, you know, to a certain degree or C plus level fighter. That's not what it is, you know. And I think that he's taking a lot of momentum out of boxing. Like, you know, you had because that's just the trajectory that the, the sport goes into where I've never seen anybody who took such a, 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 a turn, you know what I'm saying? Like you just, you already destined to fight your rival. And it's like, y'all on a collision course, y'all at that, 
moment. And then you decide to come out with these videos saying the stuff that you're saying. And to me, none of it made sense when I first heard it. And then just the way he's been moving, it just, it, like I said, baffles me. But at the same time, now I get it. Now I get who the type of person that he is. And then it also had me questioning what he had done previously throughout his whole career. You know, because at one point I was thinking that guys were kind of ducking him and not wanting to face him and were reluctant. Now to me, it's more so him who was the person who was instigating that um, or who was the, 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 the problem in those, those negotiations that would have had him face guys like a Pacquiao in the past or never keep signing with top rank who eventually he said that was racist and they couldn't get him the big fights. No, nah, maybe it was you who was making make it so difficult to deal with in order to make the big fights happen. And then you get Bob Aaron, you know, saying the things that he was saying. But again, I'm thinking like, dang, Bob was doing it dirty. But maybe Bob was just speaking the truth, you know? And so that sort of thing. But, um, you know, and I know you guys say, I say this a lot, but I will say this the last thing is this, and not necessarily about him, but just the greats. The guy who you said that's kind of making the mark for the other things, De La Hoya. De La Hoya was a guy who, only person you can say that he may have missed would have been Winky Wright, but that's you. That's a that's a reach, though, because Winky Wright just wasn't the, the name that he was looking for to go with the challenge. And so guys like Mosley, Guys like Hopkins and, and people like that. And then when he was at 147 and he was coming up from like 130, 135. And then at 147, like you said, fighting Corte, fighting Pernell Whitaker, fighting um, Trinidad. Now, I just named those three guys. He's the only one who fought all three. Like all of those guys were at 147 together. The only other two that fought was, was Pernell and Felix. Trinidad, but Corte, Whitaker, Corte, Trinidad, those fights were very difficult to make, but this dude went in there and fought all of them. And each time he's fighting these guys, you're like, man, he's biting off more than he can chew. And he's the cash cow. He don't have to do this. And so that's the mentality that separates you from, he hasn't to me done that one time in his career, with the exception of early in his career when the danger alert with British Prescott, and he was like unknown. But Prescott was just a puncher who couldn't do anything else, but he had just come off the American knockout. And so you're like, what, is he going to be able to, you know, handle that? You know, but you didn't know too much about Crawford at the time. But outside of that, I haven't seen him put himself in a situation where it was questionable or he didn't have the decided advantages over his opponent, you know, going into a fight. But, you know, it is what it is, man. Like I said, I just think that Crawford is around here. Oh, y'all made him my mandatory, and he just rubbing them hands together like yes, sir. Anything else you guys have on that topic? I think we 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 kind of did what we had to do with that one. But if you anybody have anything else? No, nah, we're gonna wait and see. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll be in a wait and see mode. Now the next topic that uh we're gonna discuss in the second to last topic uh, for this episode. Is something that I think that most people probably saw a mile away, you know, kind of like the, the next exit on the highway is Adrian Broner. He decides to spit, split with BOK Prime um, and he's soliciting new offers from other promotional companies. 
what are you, you guys' thoughts on, on uh, A-B splitting with BLK Brown? Yeah, I think it was inevitable given that I think the fight that was supposed to happen, I think it went through like four opponents and, <laughs> and still opponents kept getting injured. And it's not really, I wouldn't even blame it on uh, BLK Prime. It's just the way. What are the odds, though? What are the odds, what are the odds, what are the odds though? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's, it's not that great. But the thing with Adrian Broner and where he's at now, yes, he's a name that brings a lot of attention and a lot of money, but where is he going to go? I mean, I think he might have burned a bridge with uh, PBC. He may have. Top rank might not want him because they can't really – top rank normally gets young guys and they invest in them and try to build them into something. They don't just, you know, sign like guys, especially where Adrian Broner now, even though he's a name, he's kind of at the end of his career almost, you know. So uh, going to boy promotions, I'm not sure – Maybe Oscar's a forgiving guy because I remember when you know all of those guys were signed to go to boy promotions and PBC kind of took all those guys away from him. So maybe De La Hoya's forgiving, maybe he's not. I can see Matchroom kind of throw some fights at him, you know what I'm saying, as a, as an opponent for some of the British. But I don't think I, I can't see the money being enough for you know Broner to want to consider them. So it's like, where do we go? So that's the dilemma that he's going to have to deal with. Maybe he needs to start his own promotional company. I don't know. He's gonna fight under Tank. But Tank is still kind of PBC though. Yeah, or he's gonna fight under uh Errol Spence. Yeah, but that those are it's like Arrow is still kind of a PBC fighter, even though he has his own promotional company. Those promotional companies are like it's like having it's like a record label that has a distributor. It's like, yeah, you can be signed to to, to Rockefeller, but you know what I'm saying Rockefeller is distributed through Dev Jam. So if you don't have that distributor behind you, I mean. Right, it's a package deal though. So Errol be like, "No, I can vouch for him. Go ahead." PBC go like, Al Hain like, "Nope, not dealing with him anymore." <laughs> I mean, how can we be so sure that either of them fighters want him? I'm just saying that, that that's what you know. Ain't nobody really want him. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like yeah, yeah. He, he in that situation, but he might have to humble himself and kind of try to, you know, indirectly get on one of those. Get with one of those companies. You know what? You know Jake what Paul saying? might want him. <laughs> that was probably his best bet, though, right there, to be honest with you. Shit. I, I mean, I start out saying that it's never a good sign when a fighter posts publicly on social media that he's a free agent and to get at him. You know what I mean? Like, you don't really see fighters doing that. He, he almost reminded me of, of Terrence Crawford from, from a business standpoint. In the sense that, like, he has his view of what he's worth and so on and so forth that nobody else agrees with except him and the people in his corner. I think the the best thing for him to do would have been to wait out BOK for him to figure it out because he's not going to get a better offer than that. Uh, Vail, you, you already laid out some things with other promotional companies. Like you said, we know Aaron not going to mess with him. Hearn had said in the interview that he would be interested, but he doesn't think that Broner would be willing to hear the numbers that he would have for him. And I would agree. And I think that's probably the general sentiment among other major promoters that will be involved. So like, unless it's Jake Paul's MVP or somebody like Probellum, like, I don't know. And the reality of it is Adrian Broner was a name like seven, 10 years ago. Right. But the 2021 Adrian Broner, even though he's in shape now, the 2021 Adrian Broner we saw is like, He's not a main event fighter. He's like a co-main fighter. He's just not active enough. 
so on and so forth. And so the numbers that he generate isn't like eight figures, seven figures. It's more like six figures, five figures, maybe. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But I thought he should have just waited out BOK if they already had the bread secured. That was a problem because he said when he was talking to that one guy, he hadn't seen any money. That's the issue. See, when he kind of aligned himself with Terrence Crawford, who doesn't do good business in the first place, and then at the same time, he's talking down on his previous promotional company, that's not good because you are dealing with, with an entity that's unknown. And then you were with somebody who had established a reputable um, you know, business in the sport of boxing. And you can't do that. Even if he was doing that and he's moving to the next company that was a little bit more reputable. That's still bad business to, you know, to publicly say some of the things that he was saying because some companies just not going to want to deal with you because if we get into it a little bit, you disagree with something, then who's to say you're not going to do that to me as well. And so those just like bad business practices. And then he has this heightened um, view of himself that is is a little 2013. You understand what I'm saying? Like you talking the stuff that you talk. Yeah, back when he was like fighting Madonna and stuff like that. Yeah, that's you know your marketability. But now, after you've been off for so long, you know you've been having your trials and tribulations on social media. We know you know the the, the drinking problems that you telling us publicly. How reliable are you? You know what I mean? Pulling out of fights, you know what I'm saying? It's that sort of thing. That's the other issue. That's half the problem. Is even if I wanted to invest in Adrian Broner, how reliable are you? And so he's in a world of trouble. He's gonna have to sit down if he really wants to get back in the sport, you know, if, if that's something that he truly wants to do, he's gonna have to truly humble himself, you know, and then just work himself back into the swing of things and not, I mean, publicly, he might just say, you know what, I'm going to say these things in public because I'm trying to market myself, but truly, you know, deep down, you know, I'm going to give my all to this company and, you know, hopefully it'll pan out where I can put myself in a situation where, you know, I can be back as one of the top names and then I can get me a fight with somebody like a Regis program. Now, what could happen though, is like you said, some of those companies that you mentioned, like the Jake Pauls and things like that, if he if he's that desperate. But what could really be something that could get him back into the swing of things is if some guys just want him that bad. Like, let's say, for instance, one of the champions, like a Regis, they said, man, I want that Broner fight, you know what I mean? And then that might be able to get him back where he needs to be, where they can kind of put together a deal where a, a B gets a tune up and then he can go into a fight against a guy like that, because that fighter is saying that he wants him that bad and maybe they can get him on that way. But we'll see, man. You got anything else on old AB? AB, you know, what anybody if, can get it, man. <laughs> the can, man, Mexican, American. Man, what if this guy would have actually applied himself, man, 100%, man? What, what he could have been, man? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what he could have been. So that's the thing. I don't, all of these dudes, man. Flesh and money down the toilet. <laughs> see, I, I, all of that, like, that's why I never support no ignorant type stuff. I, you'll never see it. And, and see, you can tell guys all of the stuff like that, that he's doing. That's a really a cheat code because what people are going to continue to say is, oh, if AB just um, 
you know, let his hands go. If, if A.B. get his stuff together, then, you know, he's always going to have that cheat code for people to try to support him. When you, you know what the result is going to be based on the stuff that he's doing. Now you're doing that. That ain't going to end with no constructive result. And then it don't end the constructive result six months down the line. Then, oh, I'm making a comeback. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm focused. And then people are going to buy into it. Oh, hey, be focused. Yeah, be focused this time. He's going to mess around beat this person. And I'm not buying that. He's an old, like John Morant. Like that that guy. That guy is, is like, come on, man. You sitting up here. Flashing that burgers. Flashing this burner. You a dang on 200 something million dollars. And you want to be acting like this, beating up a kid at your house and all of this type of stuff. You sitting up here, laser beam pointed at another truck. You a $200 million dude doing this type of stuff. Like, come on, dog. Whatever it is they give you, I ain't got nothing, man. Give him whatever you want to give him as far as a punishment. Because he on some ignorant type stuff, man. And with AB, it's the same thing, man. Like I say, I root for him from afar that eventually he gets himself together and cut the ignorant type stuff out because there's no need for that. You're too old. You know, you know better. You know what I'm saying? And like I say, people just, it, it's like that in life where people continue to get in trouble. Oh, free so-and-so out of jail. He's something like shot two or three people. He needs some time in jail. You ignorant piece of, anyway, man. AB, you know, he split with, you know, BLK Prime. He's looking for new suitors. We'll see where that goes from here. Last topic that we have of the day, you got Michelle Rivera. He's been suspended for six months. Find 15% for that failed drug test that he had against my main man, Frank Martin. Do you think that punishment fits that crime? Oh, man. I'm like, what is that, man? 15%? Like, Uncle Sam take more, more money than that, man. <laughs> it didn't do it six months. I mean, that's that's about the time frame guys fight anyway. You still fight this two times a year off a six-month suspension. <laughs> you can probably show up. At 140, fight at 140 in about because because what 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 a month or two is already uh went by so it's what four months and then you can show up at at, at uh 140. So what what should the punishment be? It should be 50. percent You should be banned for about one to two years. That way people won't be getting caught. Gotcha. Yeah, man, it is what it is, though. Like, <laughs> look, I like the guy. I don't have as much invested into what should happen here. I, I will say that his career is going to be interesting because he's not going to be able to stay at 140, 135. And so he's going to have to move up and deal with those problems at 140. And there's a lot of problems at 140. And so, you know, uh, what could or should happen to him kind of is what it is. It already happened. When this happens to tough fighters, like they want people to throw the book at them. You know what I mean? Understandably so. I'm not sure if. 140 pound Rivera is going to be the type of fighter where you're like, yeah, they should have punished him harder because he might end up get up, get up, you know, get up in there against the dog and it might not matter how long he was suspended. So it kind of is what it is here for me. What you think, Will? How much you think? Two years. Yeah, oh, man. Nothing, nothing. Two years. You, you out of here, buddy. Like, you're not, okay. And then if you get caught again, five years after that, you bang. From a sport, you're right. And I don't mean to cut you off, but we look at other sports like Olympic sports. You look at, I mean, look at Marion Jones in her career, man. Come on, man. She basically her career is basically what ended, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> in boxing, you just get slapped, you know, you get slapped on the wrist, you get like what a, 
a thump behind your ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like you, that, that's the thing, man. And I see this in all walks of life. It's like you end up allowing stuff to fester, and you go ahead and be like, "Oh, okay." Well, then, then also the problem is, it's nothing that's uniform. It's nothing that is set in stone. Where this person can test positive for a substance, and that they get this punishment. This person over here, they may not even get punished, or they may, you know, that sort of thing. It's got to be clear cut, and people got to know. Oh man, if I had something in my system that's banned, then I know for a fact that I'm gonna go ahead and get this two years off. You know what I mean? And I'm not gonna be able to feed my family. I figure out some other way to feed my family. And that's going to be definitely a deterrent. And they got to like stick strong by it and not this little fuddy-duddy type thing that they got going on. Because again, you know, what if he ended up winning? What if he ended up like knocking out Frank Martin? And would that still be the punishment? But like, you just, but you still in your mind, you can't rid yourself of the fact that he won the fight. He whooped that dude. Like, you don't know to the degree in which those drugs did what in order for him to be successful. And so he still, and then the, 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 what does it do to the other fighter? You know what I'm saying? I'm fighting somebody and I'm at a total disadvantage because they got this stuff in their system. That's unfair to go ahead and alleviate all of that. And if somebody still wants to attempt to do it, if they that big and bold, that they willing to put something in their body and if they get caught, that they're not going to be able to feed their family for two years in the sport that they are blessed to be able to be a part of, then that's on them. If they that big and bold, but you got to have that stuff, you know, set in stone, man, in terms of how you're going to clean up the sport and be serious about what it is that you do. I see way too many. I see that in what I do. I see some people, you know, in, in the building that I work, they wonder why they have all of the problems that they have. And then they look at me as somebody who don't even experience those type of things because you know who you're dealing with. You know the fact that it's going to be no nonsense. You know what the expectations are. And that's a non-negotiable for anybody. I don't care if you got Ivan the Terrible inside the classroom. Ivan the Terrible is going to be somebody who's going to be in, a, in an environment that's conducive to being successful. Anything else you guys have on that topic? No, sir. Man, I certainly appreciate the dialogue. You know what I mean? Like, that was really good. I feel a lot better, man. I, um, like I said, I got really uh, a nice amount of rest on Friday. I kind of took a few naps yesterday, you know, watching them bouts and stuff. But I was able to get up and catch the main events, you know, the GOAT, and then also Fig and uh, McSire. So I had a really good week, man. Uh, like I said, certainly appreciate you, fellas. You got anything as we close this one out? Yeah, man, I ain't got nothing, though. Uh, appreciate you guys, as always. Uh, happy Sunday to you fellas. Happy Tuesday to the listeners. Good convo. Yeah, man, I think that's the perfect segue on out this bad boy, man. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Peace. Peace.